This is the Humanist Report with Mike Figueredo. Ladies and gentlemen, my name is Mike Figueredo, and this is the Humanist Report podcast. It is the 66th episode of the program, and it is October 27th. We're just two weeks out from the election, but we'll only be one week out from the election by the time most people see this. So before we get started, I have several people that I've got to thank for sponsoring this episode. So today we have John Nace, Alicia Millington, Ayala Novelties, Ryan States, Derek Burenin, Kathy DeLuca, and Dasha. So all of these people have decided to join the Independent Progressive Media Revolution by sponsoring us either through Patreon, PayPal by sending a donation, or becoming a member on HumanistReport.com. If you too would like to join the Independent Media Revolution, you could visit the links down below in the description box, or if you'd like to support us for free, you can simply bookmark the Amazon link that's in the description box, or you can disable Adblock from your browser. But as long as you tune in every single week, that's all I can ever ask or hope for. So on today's episode, we've got a jam-packed show. So I will discuss the real way WikiLeaks got a hold of John Podesta's emails, Bernie's defense of Hillary Clinton amid the WikiLeaks scandal, Michael Moore's enthusiasm over Hillary Clinton, the Dakota Access Pipeline protests, the Clinton campaign's silence on the Dakota Access Pipeline protests, media collusion with Clinton's campaign, AT&T's purchase of Time Warner, Green Party Senate candidate Margaret Flowers, Debbie Wasserman Schultz, and as usual, I will talk about Clinton corruption, as was revealed by WikiLeaks and the Wall Street Journal. So all of these topics will be discussed in this week's episode. Let's go ahead and just jump right in because we've got a lot to cover. In order to avoid the substance of what was found in John Podesta's emails that were leaked by WikiLeaks, well, Clinton campaign operatives typically pivot to Russia and they say nobody should be looking at the contents of these emails because we were the victims of a Russian cyber attack. Now, they do this to avoid criticism and they're making this really huge claim about Russia, but they're not citing any evidence. Now, they will say that 17 government agencies have in fact confirmed that it is Russian operatives who did hack into John Podesta's emails. Now, when we ask them to present any reports or show us any evidence, we get nothing. And we now know that there's a specific reason for that. It's because the evidence is sparse. Because John Podesta wasn't hacked by Russian hackers. He was the victim of a phishing scam like many Americans are. Salon explains... How did alleged hackers get access to the email account of John Podesta, the chair of Hillary Clinton's campaign? Well, apparently, he just gave them his password. This is according to a leading cybersecurity firm, which says Podesta fell for a simple phishing scam frequently used in spam mail. A researcher at the company SecureWorks told Motherboard that Podesta was sent an email on March 19th that appeared to have come from Google. In the email was a link using Bitly, an Earl shortening service. Podesta clicked on this link, which took him to a fake Google page where he then typed in his login information. According to the cybersecurity firm, this is how the email account of former Secretary of State Colin Powell was also hacked. The alleged hackers appear to later have sent Podesta's emails to the whistleblower blowing journalism organization WikiLeaks, which has published them this month in installments. WikiLeaks says it has 50,000 messages to and from Podesta and has published roughly 2,000 per day. So just to clarify what a phishing scam is, typically you'll get a really scary looking email that will say you need to reset your password right now because your account's been hacked and then you'll click on that link to reset your password. You'll give them your username and your password and then what happens? 
they steal your information. It's called phishing. John Podesta fell for it. Now, I can't fault him for that because this happens to many people, but this shows that Russian hackers did not hack into John Podesta's emails. Now, we don't necessarily know whether or not it was Russians or Russian hackers that carried out this phishing scam, but regardless of who did it, we now know that the Kremlin did not directly hack into John Podesta's emails as the Clinton campaign has consistently implied was the case. And so what's particularly troubling about this is that Hillary Clinton and her campaign are willing to further deteriorate relations between the US and Russia, also that way they can divert criticism away from them and try to get it onto Vladimir Putin. I mean, they've called Julian Assange and Donald Trump puppets of Vladimir Putin, when, again, they've presented zero evidence to confirm that Russia did carry out this cyber attack on John Podesta. And so when you have Hillary Clinton stating that she's going to deal with cybersecurity threats militarily and specifically calls out people like Vladimir Putin, Russia, China, North Korea, you have a problem here. Someone who's willing to risk war or even just deteriorating relations between countries, all because they're afraid that their corruption will be exposed, is not someone who is going to serve at the behest of the American people. They're looking out for themselves, and this is proof right here. To fall for a phishing scam, this isn't something that's uncommon. It happens all the time, and these hackers who do these types of things, they typically target older people who don't necessarily use technology as often as younger generations, so they're kind of vulnerable in that regard, and I can, you know, I can sympathize with him when you look at it from that angle, but at the same time, the fact that these were obtained by scammers, that doesn't change the content of what's within them, and since they're out there for the public, I think that we have a right to know. And look, these emails have revealed very troubling things. Some evidence of overt corruption with Hillary Clinton and the Clinton Foundation and the State Department. It's revealed that her campaign was in contact with the Department of Justice during the FBI investigation that was looking into her emails. It revealed that Hillary Clinton is colluding with the media, and this is all very problematic and spells trouble for our democracy. So, I mean, if you're in the mainstream media, it's time you call them out, because we have evidence that directly contradicts what they're claiming. And even if it were the case that Russia did hack into John Podesta's emails, you can't keep saber-rattling against Russia to avoid criticism, Hillary. It's just, it's unethical. One of the most troublesome revelations that we found in John Podesta's emails that were released by WikiLeaks is extensive collusion between various journalists and media outlets and the Clinton campaign. Well, I talked about some of this and how she was colluding with the Daily Beast and uh, NBC and CNN, but a new email shows that it was worse than we could have ever imagined. I mean, we see a conspiracy in one email that you really only find in movies that you would have to think, I mean, this can't be real, but it is. So uh, there were two dinners that reporters were invited to at the homes of Clinton campaign operatives. One was at John Podesta's house and another was at Joel Benson's house. Now, both of the dinners were, quote, off the record and, quote, about 20 reporters who would be closely covering the campaign aka the bus, referring to her press bus, which is a bus of reporters that follow her campaign around. But I mean, uh, the email shows that it was much more than her press bus. So this invite went out to mainstream journalists in the mainstream media, and people that supposedly attended were George Stephanopoulos, Ariana Huffington, Ed Schultz, 
Alex Wagner, Savannah Guthrie, Charlie Rose, Joe Scarborough, and other people that were invited, but we're not sure whether or not they attended, were Rachel Maddow, Phil Griffin, the president of MSNBC, Diane Sawyer, and more. So the people who are supposed to be covering Hillary Clinton's campaign should not be best buddies with them. And I shouldn't have to explain why this is problematic, but I'm going to do that anyway, because many people in the mainstream media are trying to downplay the revelations that have come out in the WikiLeaks scandal. And now I know why. Because they're all in cahoots with Hillary Clinton's campaign. Look, in authoritarian regimes, one of the hallmarks is that they don't have freedom of the press. We see state-ran media that controls the, the narrative in the country. So it really brainwashes the residents, and it's just propaganda. We're starting to see this blurring of the lines between Hillary Clinton's campaign and the mainstream media. You have mainstream people, not just her press bus, which would still, again, be problematic if it was just that. But we see Rachel Maddow, Phil Griffin, the president of one of the largest news networks in the country. I mean, George Stephanopoulos. I was honestly shocked. I reread the email multiple times and I was just taken aback because, again, these are people who are supposed to be holding Hillary Clinton's feet to the fire. They're supposed to cover her in a manner that's objective. But I mean, if you are breaking bread with people from her campaign, how are you supposed to be objective? How are you supposed to cover her in a way that actually communicates real information to the American people? I mean, I don't think that it's right for me to report on my friends and their actions because I'm biased. I mean, I, I would defend my friends, right? So when you become friendly and cozy up with people to the media, those people are now subject to that same bias. And let me ask this, do none of these media outlets have actual ethical restrictions that they impose on journalists? Do they just allow them to collude with campaigns and whatnot? I mean, like having these types of ethical standards you see it everywhere. I mean, when I was a low-level Walmart employee, they had a lot of policies in place that would restrict us from being subject to conflicts of interest. I mean, after time, you see customers every day, you kind of get to know them on a first-name basis, and you develop relationships with them in a way. And so they had these policies in place restricting us from accepting Christmas gifts from customers, and they try to bring in, you know, Christmas cards and whatnot, and we'd have to reject them because then maybe, you know, that's persuading us. Maybe you want to give them free material. I don't know, but that's a big problem. And you bet your ass, we followed this guideline because <laughs> we didn't want to get fired because the managers were on our ass 24-7. So if low-level Walmart employees are subject to these type of ethical guidelines, then why isn't the mainstream media, who literally dictates the political narrative in the country, subject to the same ethical standards? It's just ridiculous to me. You should never be colluding with a campaign. You should never be having dinner at their house if you're covering that campaign, if you're covering their candidate, because obviously that's going to create a conflict of interest. It's going to bias you. It's going to influence your opinion. If they're making you dinner, if John Podesta's making some of his delicious risotto, wouldn't that influence you to cover Hillary Clinton in a certain light because you're friendly with her campaign chairman? You bet your ass it would. So the fact that the Hillary Clinton campaign is getting preferential treatment by political pundits, this is a problem. And for those of you who claimed that the media was biased against Bernie Sanders during the primary, you were right.
So I'm a little bit late to the party on this, but there were two really damning stories about Hillary Clinton that provide us with more evidence of just straight up overt corruption. Now, one of them originated from the Wall Street Journal and another was discovered in John Podesta's emails by WikiLeaks. So getting to the Wall Street Journal story, the political organization of Virginia Governor Terry McAuliffe, an influential Democrat with longstanding ties to Bill and Hillary Clinton, gave nearly 500000 to the election campaign of the wife of an official at the FBI who later helped oversee the investigation into Mrs. Clinton's email use. The Wall Street Journal cited campaign finance records that showed McAuliffe's political action committee donated 467500 to the 2015 political campaign of Jill McCabe, wife of Andrew McCabe, who is now the deputy director of the FBI. In addition, the Virginia Democratic Party donated an additional 207000 to McCabe's state senate campaign. More than a third of all campaign funds raised for the race thus came from entities in which McAuliffe played a major role. She lost the race. McAuliffe and the FBI have both played down the link between McAuliffe's campaign donations and the later investigation into Clinton's email use. However, McAuliffe said he had barely ever even come into contact with Jill McCabe's husband, and the FBI released a statement reiterating that Mr. McCabe had played no role in his wife's political campaign and was promoted to deputy months after it had ended. Right, so even though they're married and he works for the FBI and a friend of Hillary Clinton uh, donated to his wife's political campaign, there's no conflict of interest there because they're, you know, he wasn't involved in her campaign. They may be husband and wife and discuss every intimate detail of their lives with each other, but with this, you can rest assured that there was no bribe there, there's no corruption, there's no conflict of interest. Look away. This is really, really troubling. Now, when it comes to the WikiLeaks uh, scandal, there's more evidence of pay-to-play deals between Hillary Clinton and the Clinton Foundation. The Atlantic explains, The chief complaint that critics make about the Clinton Foundation is that the former and perhaps future presidents engaged in a pay-to-play scheme whereby donors, many of them foreign governments, would contribute money to the charity in exchange for access to Bill or Hillary, or worse, beneficial treatment from the State Department. On Thursday, hacked emails from WikiLeaks suggest that this is precisely what happened when the King of Morocco agreed to host a Clinton Global Initiative Summit and give $12 million, but only if Hillary Clinton attended the May 2015 meeting. No matter what happens, she will be in Morocco hosting CGI on May 5th through 7th, 2015. Uma Abedin, a top Hillary Clinton aide, wrote in a November 2014 email to several other advisors, including campaign chairman John Podesta. Her presence was a condition for the Moroccans to proceed, so there is no going back on this. The timing of the summit was important because Hillary Clinton's inner circle was planning for the formal launch of her presidential campaign and wanted to clear her schedule of paid speaking engagements and commitments to the foundation, particularly those that could cause political controversy. In January 2015, Abedin followed up with another email explaining in more detail why the future Democratic nominee couldn't simply back out of the event in Morocco. Just to give you some context, the condition upon which the Moroccans agreed to host the meeting was her participation. If HRC was not part of it, meeting was a non-starter. CGI was also pushing for a meeting in Morocco, and it wasn't their first choice. This was HRC's idea. Our office approached the Moroccans, and they 100% believe they are doing this at her request. The king has personally committed approximately $12 million both for the endowment and to support the meeting. It will break a lot of China to back out now when we had so many opportunities to do it in the past few months. She created this mess, and she knows it. 
Ultimately, Clinton's aides prevailed upon her, and she sent Bill and Chelsea Clinton in her place, but this exchange about Morocco, first reported by the New York Post, is the clearest example yet, and the emails posted by WikiLeaks of the type of arrangement that people find most, well, icky about the Clintons. Bill and Hillary wanted a deep-pocketed donor to make a large contribution and foot the bill for a ritzy conference, and the King of Morocco wanted access to the woman who, then as now, was the leading candidate to be the next president of the United States. Make no mistake about it, these examples are examples of overt corruption. We have a potential bribe from a Clinton ally going to someone who is related by marriage to someone who's investigating her email. We have direct pay-to-play deals between King Mohammed VI of Morocco and the Clinton Foundation, and then him basically buying access. So when people tell you that criticisms of Hillary Clinton are unfair, or they're just criticizing Hillary Clinton because of her gender, give them these examples, because these show... That Hillary Clinton and Bill Clinton, they have ties to everyone. When it comes to the FBI, we saw how Bill Clinton met with Loretta Lynch just days before FBI Director James Comey announced that he would not be recommending an indictment of Hillary Clinton. We see countless examples of Clinton Foundation donors getting access to Hillary Clinton, and more troublesome is those donors getting access to Hillary Clinton while she was Secretary of State. Because we all know about the famous uh, Saudi weapons deal, where she approved a weapons deal to Saudi Arabia after they donated upwards of $10 million to the Clinton Foundation. She did this while she was Secretary of State. And right before she approved that deal, when it was going through, Boeing donated to the Clinton Foundation. And they knew that they would profit off of this new weapons deal for the Saudis because they would be making jets for the Saudis. And it's just so troubling that Democratic Party loyalists are trying to defend her in spite of this. Look, be objective. If this was a Republican that these revelations came out about, all liberal pundits, everyone would be jumping down their throats. They would be criticizing them as they rightfully should. So it's not right when a Republican does it, and it's certainly not right when a Democrat does it. So I shouldn't have to say this. Foreign governments should not be able to purchase access to someone who's going to be president. Uh, if you are a friend of Hillary Clinton, you should not be making large donations to someone who is married to an individual that will be investigating Hillary Clinton. This is unbelievable. I mean, this is the type of shit you see in movies, but it's happening. And, and you know, this just shows that our democracy is becoming more and more of a banana republic. So over the course of the last couple of weeks, WikiLeaks has continued to release John Podesta's emails. Now, Bernie Sanders was name-dropped in a lot of these emails, and we've seen some really troubling revelations about Hillary Clinton and the Clinton Foundation. Now, Bernie Sanders actually responded to this, and seeing that he was name-dropped, this is what he had to say. Trust me, if they went into our emails, I suppose, which may happen, who knows, I'm sure there would be statements that would be less than flattering about, you know, the Clinton staff. That's what happens in campaigns. The way they work is very, very different than the way we work, Sanders told The Post. We did not have a committee deciding what kind of jokes I would be telling. The way they do politics is very different. Was I shocked to find out that the DNC was partial toward Clinton? Not exactly. That's something we knew from day one. Now look, admittedly, I was offended by what they said about Bernie Sanders. I mean, it seems like they were very condescending toward him and his supporters. They called his Wall Street plan dumb, which reveals more about them than it does about Bernie Sanders. But 
look, if you did look through Bernie Sanders' emails, I'm sure you would hear him shit-talking Hillary Clinton. But would you find what we found out about Hillary Clinton? Probably not, because Bernie Sanders, he's not running a foundation that's influencing his actions as a government official. He is not colluding with the media in order to sabotage Hillary Clinton's campaign. So if he talks shit about Hillary Clinton, that's one thing. And I fully expect that to be in Bernie Sanders' emails if you did, in fact, dig through it. But what's really problematic is the corruption that we found within Hillary Clinton's emails. I mean, just to give you some examples here, we found evidence of collusion between Clinton's campaign and various media outlets and journalists. We found evidence of pay-to-play deals between foreign governments and the Clinton Foundation. We found evidence that Clinton's campaign was in contact with the Department of Justice during their investigation into her emails. We found evidence that the FBI's deputy director was looking out for her during the investigation. We also found evidence that Hillary Clinton's campaign was in favor of voter suppression tactics, such as closed primaries in order to help Clinton win. So you can kind of isolate certain things they said about Bernie Sanders that were just rude and offensive, but this is a lot more troubling, and by just avoiding this type of revelations, I think Bernie Sanders is really doing a disservice to all of his followers and supporters because you have to call it like you see it. If there's indefensible things about Hillary Clinton, then you cannot defend her for it. So by just avoiding it altogether, I think that that's a problem. I think Bernie Sanders needs to wrestle with what's found in these emails. I mean, he endorsed her. So is he going to talk about the corruption of the Clinton Foundation? Is he going to talk about how her campaign manager was in contact with the Department of Justice during her FBI investigation. I mean, they claim that they were impartial. They claim that she was not treated any differently than any other citizen. So why would we avoid the substance of what was in these emails just to appease Hillary Clinton? By saying that it was only pettiness and them name-calling Bernie Sanders, that's different than corruption, Bernie. So if we did look through Bernie Sanders' emails, we wouldn't find evidence of corruption because Bernie Sanders is not corrupt. We already knew that there was this conflict of interest between Hillary Clinton and her foundation before we dug into her emails. But the fact that the emails just kind of confirms what we already know, you know, it just validates our criticism about Hillary Clinton. It grants legitimacy to people who were worried about this connection that big money does and the influence it has over Hillary Clinton. So Bernie Sanders... He's really downplaying something that's very problematic here, and I think that simply chalking the WikiLeaks revelations up to her smack-talking Bernie does a disservice to what's really in these emails. The emails reveal a lot more than what you're contending they reveal, Bernie, and I think you know that. So I think you have to, even though you endorsed Hillary Clinton, you have to be realistic. Hillary Clinton is a very flawed candidate. You can make the lesser of two evils argument. I get that. That's that's rational. That makes sense to me, even though I disagree with it. But by just completely avoiding the corruption that we found in these emails, it's really frustrating that Bernie Sanders, of all people, would do that just to uh, defend Hillary Clinton. Members of the Standing Rock Sioux Tribe have been relentlessly protesting the Dakota Access Pipeline because not only would it violate their territorial sovereignty, but it would threaten the drinking water of millions of people in North Dakota. Now, ever since they've been protesting, which has been going on now for several months, they have been attacked by the dogs of armed mercenaries, they've been intimidated by militarized police, and they've been arbitrarily arrested. Now, a recent event where they did an eight-mile march 
just took a turn for the worse, and it became very violent quickly due to the police officers. So The Intercept explains, the marchers never made it to their destination. Instead, they were attacked by police forces who used pepper spray and beat protesters with batons. Dozens of officers, backed by military trucks, police vans, machine guns, and non-lethal weapons, violently approached the group without warning. Don't move, everyone is under arrest, said a voice from the loudspeaker of the military vehicle. As the protesters attempted to leave, the police began beating and detaining them. Several Native American women leading the march were targeted, dragged out of the crowd, and arrested. One man was body slammed to the ground, while another woman broke her ankle running from the police. The military and police trucks followed the protesters as nearly a hundred police officers corralled the protesters into a circle. Among the arrested were journalists, a 17-year-old pregnant girl, and a 78-year-old woman. In total, more than 140 people were detained in half an hour. It was the largest roundup of protesters since the movement against the pipeline intensified two months ago. A majority of those arrested were charged with rioting and criminal trespass. Overall, close to 300 people have been arrested since protests against the pipeline kicked off over the summer. When we arrived in Mandan, the jail was so overwhelmed with people that we had to sit on the floor in the jail's common area. Two Native American men were thrown into solitary confinement. A number of women faced humiliating strip searches, which included spreading their body parts and jumping up and down while coughing. We were refused phone calls and received no food or water for eight hours after being arrested. Two women fainted from low blood sugar and another had her medication taken away, causing her to shake and sweat profusely. So let's call it what it is. This is state-sanctioned violence. It's unacceptable and they're really just harassing the protesters because they don't want this pipeline to go through. And we know that the state of North Dakota is on the side of the oil company because... They've proven time and again that they are willing to go to great lengths to try to dissuade them from protesting. So now they're being charged with criminal trespass. They're being charged with rioting. This is false, and this is literally a tactic that's used in authoritarian countries. During the Arab Spring, there are certain dictators that would say, look, if I see more than 10 people gathered in one area, that's a riot. That's a protest. So you're going to be arrested for it. Now we're seeing this in the United States of America. The state of North Dakota is definitely unequivocally siding with the pipeline company who will profit off of this money, who will profit off of poisoning the planet and violating the sovereignty of the Standing Rock Sioux tribe. And they're saying, look, if these protesters care about clean drinking water and Native American sovereignty, that's too bad. We're on the side of the company that's going to make us money, that's going to improve the economy of North Dakota. And if they don't like it, then we will turn into authoritarians and intimidate them and harass them and physically assault them. This is not okay. And the silence from Hillary Clinton, a so-called progressive candidate, is deafening. She has to speak out about this. Jill Stein spoke out about this. Bernie Sanders spoke out about this. And anyone in Congress who's silent... You have to speak out about this because this is a huge issue. These protesters are now risking their lives. I mean, they're going to jail. They're being strip searched, which is completely unnecessary. There's no reason to believe that they're carrying weapons. None of the other protesters have. And you're arresting elderly women. From the last video when I covered uh, the Dakota Access Pipeline protest, one lady, she was elderly, she said, look, they pointed guns in my face. That was the first time I literally have ever seen a gun in person. This is not what's supposed to go on in a democracy. We are supposed to be able to exercise our First Amendment right 
without the fear of intimidation or threats. I want every single person who knows about this to speak up, share articles about it, because if we force the mainstream media to pay attention, then politicians will be forced to act. So one of my viewers named Jeremy R. decided to be a badass and uh, do some really good citizen journalism. So he attended a political rally that featured Chelsea Clinton as a guest speaker, and he decided to ask whether or not her mom would reject the Dakota Access Pipeline. What side are you on? Are you on the side of the oil company or are you on the side of the protesters, the Standing Rock Sioux tribe? And seeing that Chelsea Clinton is a surrogate for her mom's campaign, you'd think she would know the answer. But regardless, if she does does or doesn't know, she dodged that question like Neo from the Matrix. Take a look. Hillary opposed the uh, Dakota Access Pipeline. Um, peaceful water protesters are being arrested and uh, sacred lands are being desecrated right now. Why has she remained silent about this? So his question, and please raise your hand because I really, I mean, there's no science to this. It's just kind of that side of the room in the middle, then that side of the room. So please raise your hand because if everyone talks at once, we won't get to questions. I've heard my mom talk about this, so I'm sorry that you haven't. Um, she has strongly supported, his question was about the Dakota Pipeline. She strongly When should, has she talked about it? I haven't seen oh anything gosh, on the internet I, about it. I have no idea what I was even doing yesterday. So I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't know what my mom is today. I'm not making light of it. I just, I have no idea what it's been, if it's been days or weeks or, or months. Um, I, I don't even know it's October 26th. Because there's birthday. nothing on the internet about it. This issue specifically. Climate change, I, yes I, or not? Okay, well, sir, you asked a question. Okay. Go ahead. Yeah. I, um, so I've heard my mom talk about this. I'm sorry if you haven't. Um, she has said that she supports um, President Obama's uh, efforts to include the tribal communities in Does the conversation. Does she oppose the Dakota Access She has consistently said that uh, we need to be moving to a clean energy future. Um, she has consistently said that um, we need to be investing in building jobs in places where the sun shines the brightest, the wind blows the But did she pose this issue? Yes or no? Yes or no? Many of those are, uh, including on tribal lands, um, she has had uh, a tribal uh, council from the beginning of her campaign. Uh, so I'm really proud of what my mom has done to listen yeah. to the tribal community, respond to the tribal community. Yeah. 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 And, yeah. Why has she remained silent? Why is she, is she not standing with him? On that yes or with a hat. I'm not making light of it, I just have no idea what it's been, if it's been days or weeks or months. Wow, so, I don't even know what to say about that. So, first of all, she said, look, I'm sorry that you haven't heard my mom speak out about this issue because she's talked to me about it. And you're her daughter. Your mom hasn't spoken out about this issue yet. And her silence is deafening. This is a major issue. Is she going to stand up on the side of the oil company or is she actually going to take a stand for what's right and defend the Standing Rock Sioux tribe and defend the planet and clean drinking water? Why hasn't she spoken out about this? It's really telling. Now, she espoused a bunch of vague platitudes. Well, she supports President Obama's efforts to include the tribal community, yada, yada, yada. Right, this is vague. She dodged the question, and then everyone in the room started to bark at him. And look, those people should be ashamed of themselves because what he's doing is clearly asking a very simple question. I mean, if you're really, if your mom is a progressive, Chelsea, this shouldn't be difficult for her to answer. She should say unequivocally, yes, you know, I, I want to reject the Dakota Access Pipeline. I'm on the side 
of the protesters here. I'm on the side of Native American sovereignty and clean drinking water, but the fact that she's been silent is really, really troubling, Chelsea. As I said, I mean, her silence is deafening, and when TYT's Jordan Sheridan tried to ask what Hillary Clinton's stance was on the Dakota Access Pipeline, this is the answer that he was given. Where does she stand on Dakota Access Pipeline? Where does she stand on Dakota Access Pipeline? Uh, I'm, you know what? I'm, I'm not as versed in that issue right now. So we, you I don't know, know if she's for or against no, the pipeline? What she's for, what she's for is making investments in clean energy. I've answered your question now three times. I'm going to say it again. But you don't know about Dakota. I think she's the only candidate in this race who believes that we have to make massive investments in solar and wind to get to be a clean energy economy. So Chelsea did not give Jeremy the answer that he was looking for, and everyone in the room should be ashamed of themselves that they're satisfied with platitudes, because if a politician or a surrogate of a politician is not going to answer your question and they're going to do a little tap dance around the issue, as a citizen, you have a right to call them out. Look, you could already tell that even if Hillary Clinton comes out on the side of the Standing Rock Sioux protesters, you know that it's going to be something that is a position taken just for purposes of political expediency since she's waited this long. I mean, clearly she's trying to see what the polls are going to indicate and, you know, where people in the country are going on the issue, whether or not the media will cover it. But look, either you're on the side of the planet and Native American sovereignty or you're not. Just be frank with us. Hillary Clinton sold fracking to the world when she was Secretary of State. She's taking money from lobbyists that have bundled contributions from the fossil fuel industry. So we know that Hillary Clinton is bankrolled by these companies and people that want to kill the planet because they find it profitable. But what I want to know is which side are you going to take? Are you going to stand up for what's right or are you going to go where the money is? And we already know the answer to this. Hillary Clinton is probably going to do what her donors want her to do. And it shows that Hillary Clinton is not a true progressive. And if her daughter does the same tap dance and knows all the same rehearsed vague talking points and platitudes that she knows, well then, Hillary Clinton, we know what side she's on. By not speaking out on behalf of the protesters, you're taking the side of the oil company. And look, we know that that's probably where your heart lies because that's where the cash is. So... This is unfortunate, but look, this this had to be seen. I wanted to share Jeremy's video because it's really frustrating that what is a major progressive issue and what can really reassure us that Hillary Clinton is going to stand up for what's right by speaking out on behalf of the Dakota Access Pipeline protesters, she's not doing that. And again, I'm going to say it for the third time now, your silence is deafening, Hillary. So, if you don't remember Debbie Wasserman Schultz, formerly known as Debbie Do Anything for Hillary Wasserman Schultz, let me refresh your memory. This is the former DNC chair that had to resign in disgrace for trying to sabotage Bernie Sanders' campaign when the DNC chair is supposed to remain neutral. This isn't according to me, this is according to the DNC's own charter. So, while she was the head of that organization, she acted against its own rules, and now she is a very active surrogate for Hillary Clinton. She speaks at her rallies all the time. And with some of the things that she's saying, she's really showing that she's living in 
a different reality than everyone else because it just it's not lining up with what's actually happening. So Observer explains on October 21st, Wasserman Schultz made an appearance at a small Clinton campaign meeting for volunteers in Gainesville, Florida, the home of her alma mater, the University of Florida. The location of the meeting, the headquarters of the Gainesville Police Department, was likely chosen to deter any confrontation from protesters. However, Sanders supporters refused to forget Wasserman Schultz's role in rigging the primaries and made sure to demonstrate that they wouldn't let her off the hook as easily as the Democratic Party had. Let's just stop right there and let me pose this question. If you're worried about protesters showing up, if Debbie Wasserman Schultz will be a surrogate for you, Hillary, why is she still a surrogate for you? So they continue, around 20 Sanders protesters showed up with signs outside the event in contrast to the 50 or 60 Clinton supporters attending the inside. A few minutes into Wasserman Schultz's speech, the protesters interrupted her, at which point the regional organizing director for the Florida Democratic Party and former field organizer for the Clinton campaign, Omar Rashid, ran up to one of the two protesters and began yelling Hillary while fist pumping in their face. Other Clinton supporters joined in the Hillary chant, while there are several constructive ways to de-escalate an interruption by protesters, this certainly wasn't one of them. Wasserman Schultz continued going off on a tangent about turmoil in the Republican Party. It was so heartwarming how, if you look at the two contrasts that we have in front of us, a Republican Party that is in utter chaos, they are in the midst of a chaotic civil war so much so that I'm not even sure the Republican Party is going to look the way it did before this election cycle started. And look at our party. Even though we had a very contested Democratic primary that lasted a long time, we are completely united. Completely united. No, we're not. Let me, <laughs> let me recap what went on. After you tried to rig the primary for Hillary Clinton, Many people left the party. I was a Democratic Party loyalist prior to this primary. I was a registered Democrat. Uh, I have since changed my registration status to independent. I will now not be voting for the Democratic Party's nominee. In fact, I already submitted my vote for Jill Stein, a Green Party candidate. So you pushed us away. And while many people are falling in line and supporting Hillary Clinton, the party is not united. You single-handedly created this division between liberals and progressives. And you showed us that we have a contingent in the party that is really about pushing for progressive policies. And that's the progressive wing of the Democratic Party that Bernie Sanders currently runs or influences. Whereas the rest of the party, they're completely sold out. They're all about their donors. They're all about party loyalism. And any and all criticism of Hillary Clinton is either due to sexism or it's because you secretly support uh, Trump. So if you criticize Hillary Clinton, you support Trump. And I mean, after smearing us during the primary and treating us like shit and disenfranchising us and pushing us away, you have the audacity to claim that the party is completely united and you didn't mince words there you uh you reiterated completely united period really so either you are living in an alternate reality or you're lying <laughs> and i don't think you're that dumb debbie i mean you're you're a pretty corrupt person but we know that you're not stupid you're very smart because it takes brains to really rig a full primary for one of the two major parties uh, and you've proven that you are very corrupt. So the fact that you would have the audacity to claim 
that we are united as a party. This is very akin to the tactics that Kim Jong-un uses. I mean, you go to Pyongyang and you see all these stores that look beautiful, but then behind the stores, it's just the country is in ruins. This is what she's trying to do. You see, you know, on the surface, Democrats are completely united behind Hillary Clinton, but when you really dive deep, you see that the party is in ruins. And yes, the Republican Party may also be divided, but that doesn't necessarily mean that the Democratic Party doesn't have their problems as well. You have a portion of the party that wants to be conservative, and then you have a portion of the party that wants to be progressive. Liberals and progressives now are split. You have some that are independent, some in the Green Party, and some in the Democratic Party still, but you've pissed off a lot of people, so the fact that you're not even willing to acknowledge that is so frustrating, and you shouldn't even be a campaign surrogate for Hillary Clinton after doing what you did. And the fact that Hillary Clinton would allow you to continue to act as a surrogate for her shows that she would allow you to rig the primary for her and not even be apologetic, but to do it with hubris. So Michael Moore is one of the few documentary filmmakers that I've always admired. He's been a progressive ally. He's been on the right side of history on virtually every single issue that I know of, and he voted for Bernie Sanders during the primary. So I really respect Michael Moore, and I feel as though he's more objective than other documentary filmmakers. And even if, you know, some of his films may use sensationalism and try to play to your emotions a bit too much, I think that by and large... He really does a great job at illustrating what areas of U.S. policy need to be reformed, such as health care. I mean, such as gun policy reform. So I like Michael Moore. Now, the problem is that he is now voting for Hillary Clinton to defeat Donald Trump. And look, I, I get the lesser of two evils argument. I can rationalize that, and I don't have any problem with that. But the main problem in his support of Hillary Clinton is that, like many other people, he's kind of falling for this partisan trap of Democratic Party loyalism and is not just begrudgingly supporting Hillary Clinton to defeat Donald Trump. He's now convinced himself that she's a good candidate and is trying to get other people to be more enthusiastic about supporting her. Take a look. Even though I've never voted for her, I didn't vote for her in 08, I didn't vote for her in the primary this year, I voted for Bernie, uh -huh. but I'm very excited about voting for her. And, and, and I have a lot of respect for her, even though I don't agree with her necessarily politically on everything. Yeah. She's, I mean, she has devoted her life uh, to helping people, to serving this country. Uh, she hasn't devoted her life to harming the planet, hurting people. Um, ruining the lives of employees, all the things that people have had to go through in this country. And, and so I just thought, how come, I'm just wondering why, especially people who say they're going to vote for Hillary, aren't, they don't say it like they're excited. They're going, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to vote for Hillary. It's like, no, <laughs> come on. But some people would disagree with you. They would say she voted for the war in Iraq, which might have ruined some people's lives. I, I disagree with her on that. I, yeah. she, yes, no, she, I think that was wrong. She's too cozy with Wall Street. I can give you all the political yeah, all reasons that. Right. that I disagree with her on. But to think of her in the Oval Office representing this country, I mean, come on. First of all, I say this to Bernie people, we're not being asked to vote for Margaret Thatcher. You know, no. or, or, you know, Clarence Thomas or, you know, I mean, this yeah. is, I mean, she, she adopted two thirds of Bernie's positions. I mean, she, she really went the extra mile to try and bring everyone into the tent. Now, with some of the things that he said there, he's just outright lying. He said she hasn't dedicated her life to harming the planet. Michael, where have you been? When she was secretary of state, she sold fracking to the world. Really, Michael? She is taking bundled contributions from fossil fuel lobbyists.
Do you think that's not going to have any impact on her decisions as president? He also said she went the extra mile to bring everyone into the tent. So you're okay with her bringing neoconservatives into the Democratic tent? I mean, she sought the endorsement of war criminals such as John Negroponte and Henry Kissinger. You're okay with that? Because I don't want those people in my tent. If I'm going to be part of a political constituency, I can do without having those people. I think we can exclude some people. I think we're right to exclude some people. And the problem is that she's not just bringing more people into the tent. She's excluding some people and is moving the tent. I mean, she's moving the entire political spectrum to the right, just like Republicans. She's moving the entire aggregate Democratic Party to the right, Michael. That's a problem. He also said here to the Bernie people, we're not being asked to vote for Margaret Thatcher or Clarence Thomas. <laughs> okay, but the problem is the Democrats are already a right wing party. And as Republicans move further and further to the right, Democrats are following them, and we need Democrats to move back to the left. Bernie would have facilitated that electoral shift, but Hillary Clinton is really solidifying this rightward shift, and that's really harmful because it means more neoliberal economic policies. It means more neoconservative foreign policies, and it means no real change that we need to move the country in the correct direction. And he also made the Christian case for Hillary Clinton in that video, too. I mean, really? You're using... This? You're using her religion as a benefit to vote for her? So are you implying that if she were atheist, then that would delegitimize her? If I wanted to run for president, which I don't, would I not be an acceptable candidate because I'm an atheist? It's frustrating. Now, he also did something that was used against him during the primary. It's a wonderful thing. Not just the, not just the fact that she's a woman, but look at all that she's done. This, what is this the thing, too, with Hillary supporters who, who have this, yeah, you know, I'm going to vote for Hillary, this sort of lack of whatever that is. There's not that thing with, that people had on the day we were going to go vote for Obama, right. where it's like, I couldn't wait to get to the polls. I need people to feel that way on this November 8th. You know, there's, there's, there's no reason to be into this place with, you know, the, the, the sort of the knock on her has been unfair. She's been attacked and harassed and abused. In ways that if, I believe, honestly, if she were a man, she wouldn't have had to go through so much of this. And she did something, she tried to do something 20 years ago, 23 years ago for us, get us universal health care, real universal health care. And she was, man, she was massacred. And it was sad. Okay. Just because people aren't enthusiastic to support Hillary Clinton does not mean it's because of her gender. Yes, I too am excited about the prospect of us having our first woman president. I mean, if it were a Republican woman president, I would be, you know, I would be still excited. Just the fact that we are breaking that glass ceiling, I think, is a good thing. However, when he talks about Hillary Clinton, he's being really disingenuous because when he says that she fought for universal health care, he doesn't finish the sentence. She fought for universal health care, and I was a fan of hers because of that, but she gave up when she was bought off, Michael. That's a problem. Now, furthermore, criticisms on the right are undoubtedly unfair, but she's being criticized by progressives on the left because she wants to lead a political party that's supposed to be liberal. And she's not liberal, Michael. Her Syrian no-fly zone and saber-rattling against Russia are all things that Republicans would do. Her relationship with Wall Street and donations from billionaires makes her the Democratic equivalent of Mitt Romney. Some of her criticism, particularly on the right, might actually be due to sexism, okay? I can grant you that. 
But you can't say that about progressives. We tried to urge Elizabeth Warren to run for president. Many of us are voting for Jill Stein. So are you really saying that any and all criticism of Hillary Clinton is tantamount to sexism? Because you were very critical as well. So were you sexist for supporting Bernie during the primary? Were you sexist when you said that you would never vote for Hillary Clinton because she voted for the Iraq war? Is that not sexism? Why is it not sexism when you criticize Hillary Clinton, but if anyone else does it, it's sexism? It's a double standard, and it's incredibly frustrating, and I see so many liberals who I used to support and admire fall for this trap. The reason why I'm talking about this is because I think that what he's doing is problematic. By encouraging people to be enthusiastic about Hillary Clinton, he's inadvertently encouraging them to be complacent. And for me, I'm very critical of Hillary Clinton because I'm expecting her to get elected, and I'm hoping that my criticism from the left will encourage liberals and progressives to hold her feet to the fire because she's going to do a lot of things much like bill clinton probably and barack obama probably that are harmful to the country that are harmful to the world and i want to stop her from doing that so by convincing liberals and progressives to be enthusiastic about her there's this implication there that they don't have to worry about what she would do as president but that's not true if she's elected, we're going to really have to fight to make sure that she's actually liberal because you have to follow the money. She's taken money from basically every single special interest in existence. And if you don't think that's going to have any impact on her decisions as president, Michael, you're completely fooling yourself and you fell for the Democratic Party loyalist trap. They want you to believe that when Democrats take money from special interests, it's okay. But when Republicans do it, that's bad. We should call them out for it. Mitt Romney was bad because he was in the pockets of big business. But Barack Obama did it and Hillary Clinton did it. And that's fine. No, it's not fine. It's not fine when anyone does it. So the fact that you're trying to get people to be enthusiastic about a corporatist, plutocratic candidate is really frustrating and it's going to lead Democrats to, be com to being complacent and it'll just do nothing more than facilitate even more right-wing neoliberal policies, which is what we don't need right now. During a debate in Maryland between Democratic and Republican Senate candidates, Green Party candidate Margaret Flowers tried to insert herself into the debate. So there was someone from the audience, who I'm guessing is a Green Party operative, who asked, would you accept the inclusion of Margaret Flowers, who is also a legitimate Senate candidate, in the debate and both candidates obliged they said yes we would welcome her and so margaret flowers then went on the stage and she was still escorted off in spite of this take a look good evening everyone one issue before we begin oh. do you believe that margaret flowers and u.s senate candidates should be included in this debate absolutely i've advocated for that before chris van hong would you continue to support us <laughs> Dr. Flowers being in, I made, and it clear, you I made it clear I would welcome Dr. Flowers. So both candidates want to support Dr. Flowers being in the state, and you've excluded her for no good reason. That's the way it denies democracy. Voters should hear from Dr. Flowers as well as the other candidates. You shouldn't be having a closed debate. She's a legitimate candidate who should be included. And so I hope that you'll respect her right to be Yeah! Welcoming, great of the discussion. We get a full range 
I think it's important for voters to understand the differences between myself and Councilman Van Hollen and Delegate Shalega. Otherwise, they don't really know. I mean, you say you're a public university and you want to educate the public, but without having a full public discussion, that doesn't actually happen. So how does it serve democracy or serve the public if I'm excluded both from the discussion, but I'm on the ballot? I don't think so. So this is nothing more than suppression of choices and a suppression of democracy. If you have both Democratic and Republican candidates saying we would welcome her inclusion and you don't need their, you know, their approval. But if you have them both saying it and she's still escorted out, that's when you have a problem. That's when you have not just the political parties themselves and their candidates, but moderators and people from media. And this was a local media operative, as far as I know, or someone from the university. Uh, they're trying to maintain this two-party duopoly as well. But it's frustrating that if someone is on the ballot, therefore being a legitimate candidate, they still don't get to participate in the debate. Why is that? Why was she escorted off? Why was she not invited in the first place? Why is it that only Democrats and Republicans get to debate when we have other parties? I mean, we have the Libertarian Party, who I don't agree with on many issues. We have the Green Party. We have two extra legitimate parties. I mean, you can't put forth the spoiler argument because if you allow both the Libertarian and the Green Party to participate, well, you're splitting votes equally. So you're not spoiling one candidate in favor of the other. So that's a bullshit argument. And look, if you really are afraid of there being this spoiler effect, then you could implement ranked choice voting. But I commend Margaret Flowers because these are the type of things we have to do to get third and fourth parties noticed in this country. And look, I commend the other two Republican and Democratic candidates for actually wanting to allow her to compete. I mean, in actuality, did they really want her there? No, but they still, I think, were class acts in saying, yeah, we, we would welcome her inclusion. But it was really the moderator in this case that wanted her escorted out. It was really security from the campus or the university uh, that wanted her out. And that's so frustrating because, again, if you show up on the ballot, you're suppressing democracy by not allowing voters to hear that person out. So, I mean, in the end, kudos to Margaret Flowers. I think that the Green Party, they've been disenfranchised. The Libertarian Party, they've also been disenfranchised for so long that they have to start resorting to these types of protest tactics. If both parties want to shut them out from democracy, then they have to insert themselves in. So I would encourage any other Green Party and Libertarian Party candidate uh, across the country in local races to insert themselves in the debates in the way that Margaret Flowers did, because I think this is genius. And not only would this help you garner more press coverage, but it would actually make people known because even if they kick you out, like they did to Margaret Flowers, well, the people in that room might see it. And the people who are watching from home might see it and might want to Google Margaret Flowers and see, you know what? She's actually a great candidate. So the party duopoly has got to stop. And we have to do things at the state level to start implementing ranked choice voting and getting real electoral reform. Because just how we need to get money out of politics, we also need to reform our electoral system that just maintains this two-party duopoly. It's, it's just not good for democracy. 
With the threat of climate change growing and becoming greater and greater, this requires us to move to a cleaner, green economy. And many politicians aren't really looking at this in the correct way. I mean, this requires innovation and this could be a new economic boom. I mean, if you have a company willing to invest in cheap, clean technology, this could really make them rich one day. Uh, the problem is that many people don't look at climate change as an economic opportunity. Jill Stein does, and she penned an article for Fortune that really illustrates her understanding of the issue, and I wanted to share it. So she states, There is a growing concern in advanced economies that governments are running out of options to stabilize a precarious and volatile global economic system. Since the onset of the Great Recession in 2008, the Fed's large-scale bond purchases called quantitative easing have helped push interest rates close to 0% and have done more to serve Wall Street's interests by way of propping up the stock market than by boosting the overall economy economy for average Americans. These have proven to be temporary fixes, providing a semblance of recovery without addressing the underlying problems in the real economy. Stagnating demand, lack of productive investment, staggering inequality, and concentration of wealth. Not to mention the climbing cost of climate-related disasters, the floods and wildfires, which have cost $26.9 billion in 2016 alone. As recent warning signs in the U.S. market have shown, we are hardly out of the woods when it comes to preventing another big crash. Keeping interest rates super low has only produced the illusion of a healthy economy. Without sound fiscal policies targeted to help ordinary Americans, economic growth will stagnate. Lasting economic recovery means going back to the basics, making things, buying things, and shoring up loyal communities and small businesses, which have always been the economic bedrock of our nation. It's time to stop throwing good money after bad and address both economic and climate crises head-on by investing in the sectors most primed for innovation and growth, clean energy, eco-friendly infrastructure, sustainable food systems, public transit, and more, which also happen to be the tools we need for planetary survival. I believe the U.S. economy needs a Green New Deal, an ambitious yet secure economic and environmental program that will revive the economy turn the tide on climate change and make wars for oil obsolete, allowing us to cut our bloated, dangerous military budget in half, building on the concept of Franklin D. Roosevelt's New Deal. The Green New Deal calls on communities, government, and ordinary people on the scale of World War II to transition our energy system and economy to 100% clean, renewable energy by 2030. So to move to 100% renewable energy by 2030 is such an ambitious goal that many people have called it unfeasible. But regardless if it's unfeasible right now or not, we have to try to move towards it. This all kind of stems from government investments. If they don't invest in green technology, then we are not going to be able to fight climate change. Right now, we're currently subsidizing big oil. Now, we can't reverse climate change. All we can do is try to mitigate it and adapt to it. So by not investing in it, this is a problem. And this is an economic opportunity. And I have to give credit to Martin O'Malley, who looked at climate change as an economic opportunity because he said, look, if you invest in green, if you really are a company that is trying to innovate and create clean, renewable technology, then you will be very, very wealthy one day. And not very many politicians understand this. Why is that? Well, you have to follow the money. If you're getting bankrolled by big oil and then turning around and subsidizing big oil, 
well, then it's going to be just this complete cycle because these big oil companies like Exxon and whatnot and Chevron, they're going to have an incentive to donate and buy off politicians because this is an investment that's lucrative for them. They end up getting these subsidies that are profitable to them. So Jill Stein, I think that her Green New Deal is honestly the main reason why I'm supporting her. I mean, I, I like Jill Stein because of a lot of different policies, but just her advocacy for real climate change mitigation. I mean, by showing that fighting climate change can be profitable, that could have a domino effect throughout the world and other countries might follow our lead. So it's really important to have a leader that's strong on climate change. Jill Stein is that. AT&T recently announced that it would be purchasing Time Warner for 85 billion dollars. Now, many politicians are silent, and of course, Hillary Clinton has remained silent because Time Warner is her ninth largest donor, so obviously, she tacitly approves of this deal by taking their money. But there is someone who's speaking out against this, and that person is Bernie Sanders. So he penned a letter to Assistant Attorney General Renata Hess, which reads, Dear Acting Assistant Attorney General Hess, I'm writing to urge you to block the proposed merger of AT&T and Time Warner. This proposed merger is just the latest effort to shrink our media landscape, stifle competition and diversity of content, and provide consumers with less while charging them more. Whether to approve this merger is a critical decision for the department, but it is even more consequential for our democracy. Our democracy thrives when there is a diversity of viewpoints and when citizens have unlimited access to information. Analysts have called the proposed deal a seismic shift for the media and technology sectors, with a giant telephone company gaining control over hugely valuable brands spanning television, film, sports, news, video games, and mobile and residential internet service. As you noted recently, when speaking about the corrosive effects of antitrust, when companies harm competition, choking off competition, or agreeing with rivals not to compete, they infect the economy with unfairness by accumulating power that the few can wield at the expense of the broader American public. This merger represents a gross concentration of power that runs counter to the public good that should be blocked. Finally, approving this deal could lead to a wave of other mergers in the media industry at a time when our telecommunications media industries are already too concentrated. We should be focused on opening those markets to more competition, not less. The media and telecommunications landscape is changing. It is important that public policy concerns guide these changes so that we may preserve our democratic discourse and open competitive markets for speech and commerce. That is the function of our antitrust laws. I ask you to enforce them and block the proposed merger. So Bernie Sanders is absolutely doing the right thing by trying to block this purchase because he he's not waiting for polls to see where the American people lies. He knows that this does, in fact, violate antitrust laws and it sets up a gigantic monopoly and allows AT&T to control the narrative around many different sectors. I mean, radio, television, video games. Okay, I think that we need 
more competition, not less, as Bernie Sanders stated. And this is incredibly troubling because, as he stated, if the Department of Justice approves this, it could lead to a domino effect where more companies make these large purchases and pretty much we just have one big, gigantic, fascist corporation running the country. Now, I know it sounds, you know, like I'm trying to be a conspiracy theorist and uh, fearmonger and whatnot, but the power that these countries already have is overwhelming. I mean, AT&T has billions and billions of dollars uh so the fact that they this huge company purchases another huge company that consolidates a huge portion of multiple industries and it's just really scary to think that AT&T who is already a corrupt company uh will have control now over this media industry and Time Warner itself is already corrupt uh, I don't know which is worse Comcast or Time Warner they're terrible but you have AT&T now acquiring Time Warner, and this is this is bad. So I don't expect Hillary Clinton to speak out against something that her donor wants, one of her largest donors, but I do expect other progressives or so-called progressives in Congress to speak out about this and join Bernie Sanders. So I received a message from another Humanist Report viewer named Cody Porter. Let's take a listen. Hi, Mike. This is Cody Porter, a proud Humanist Report member. Um... So Bernie Sanders announced uh, this new bill uh, to end tax loopholes for the rich, um, and specifically, you know, he he mentions that this is a type of tax loophole that Donald Trump has taken advantage of. Um, so this entire time, you have establishment Democrats freaking out about Trump, you know, not paying his taxes for the past eighteen years or whatever it is, um, and I think sort of ignoring the bigger picture problem that you know. These loopholes are even in place to begin with, and Donald Trump is just sort of a symptom of this bigger problem. Um, and so, while establishment Democrats get all up in arms about this, I'm really sus I'm really suspicious that they'll actually do anything about it. Um, and so, you know, I've sort of seen Bernie Sanders going in and you know endorsing Hillary as you know him playing really clever politics because now he sort of you know has. Uh, this almost this image as you know really supporting the the democratic establishment, um, and you know now it seems like he's able to sort of capitalize on that and say okay yes you know uh, you know establishment Democrats are you know up in arms about Donald Trump not paying his taxes here's a plan to fix it you know and so he's kind of putting pressure on them to put their money where their mouth is I feel like and I. I was just kind of wondering if you comment on that and what your thoughts were on this bill. Thanks for the message, Cody, and thank you so much for being a member. That's awesome. Um, so to kind of paraphrase, just to make sure I'm understanding you, so the Democratic Party right now is at least acting like they're outraged at the fact that billionaires like Donald Trump are dodging their taxes and are not paying their fair share. So Bernie Sanders, in announcing this bill that would allow them to kind of act on this outrage and actually prevent billionaires from doing what Trump is doing, He's kind of being very strategic. And if that is what you're saying, I actually agree with that. I think that Bernie Sanders is smart to kind of back Democrats into a corner and say, okay, so if you are actually outraged at the fact that Donald Trump and other billionaires are dodging their taxes and are not paying taxes and haven't been for decades, here's what we can do. Put your money where your mouth is and vote for this bill. And I think that's really brilliant because it will prove whether or not they're hypocrites. Are they really outraged at billionaires uh, taking advantage of our tax system? Or are they just taking that position for purposes of political expediency because they know that criticizing Trump for this will help Hillary Clinton? 
I think we all know the answer to this, but by Bernie Sanders actually introducing this bill, I think it's brilliant because if they don't act on this bill, then we all know that they were just doing it to pay lip service to constituents because when they pretend to be outraged about this, then that outrages the base. So it kind of has this domino effect. And now if the base sees that there is a bill that could prevent people like Donald Trump from exploiting our tax system, well then if they don't act on it, then we'll all know that they're just frauds and are hypocrites. In a world of politics dominated by the strange, the deranged, and outright insane, We'll now take a moment to shine a light on the craziest of what politics has to offer. This is your weekly Dose of Stupidity. You didn't want this huge contribution from the King of Morocco Justice Clinton was announcing for president. Well, I didn't want anything on her schedule uh, that was going to distract from the campaign. And again, the Clinton Global Initiative had this meeting scheduled in Morocco. Yeah, but it was the big money from a foreign person to the foundation at the time she's running for president. I, it, this was, as you can see in those emails, this was a scheduling matter. And we didn't want her going overseas. I didn't want her going overseas uh, before the campaign was kicking off. Um, but again, th this is these are stolen documents stolen by the Russians is now confirmed from John Podesta they are being put out for exactly this purpose. <laughs> well, the you, Russians I, you know, and Donald me, Trump just speak, this campaign speak to that. something else right Well, now. let me just speak to that, though, because, you know, the, the Trump tax returns were stolen as well when they were mailed to the New York Times. You guys didn't object to that. In fact, you jumped all over. Well, we don't know where those tax returns come from. Well, they weren't. I, they were clearly stolen. We don't know. And, and you'd have well, do you to think, work I mean, do you think that Trump had given them? I don't know. I don't know how they got uh, to the New York Times. I guess what I'm saying is but, if that, if, if that, if we're, we're looking at the fruits of that theft, and I will call it a theft, what's it's fair to look at the fruits well, of your theft. I think what's particularly disturbing in this situation is that the intelligence community has now confirmed that the, that John Podesta's emails and the DNC emails were stolen by the Russians. I know about the Russian connection. I'm talking about the $12 million from the King of Morocco and, and the fact that this uh, continues to sort of show the line between private and public and, and uh, Hillary Clinton and the Clinton Foundation. I think we got to look at what decisions were made. There was a meeting in Morocco. Secretary Clinton decided not to go focus on her campaign here. And again, we're having but this then discussion Bill because Clinton the Russians went Chelsea Clinton went, correct? Uh, my understanding is that they did go. Um, but she did not. And again, the, this is the discussion the Russians want us to be having. They stole this information. They're selectively leaking. I can't even verify any of the information that you have there. We simply don't have enough time as a campaign. Uh, to, I promise to you, sort if, these were not if these were not true, you'd tell us. And we are trying to go through some of them as we can, but we don't have time to go through them all. Um, and again, this is a distraction put in place by the Russian government at the suggestion and, and encouragement of Donald Trump. That should be a chilling fact for every single American. People don't like the idea of money going to the Clinton Foundation in exchange for access to the then former Secretary of State. I mean, you can understand why that would trouble people. Absolutely, and, and it's not true. Um, <laughs> I'm, again, I'm glad you raised the question because people should understand that never took place. Uh, Secretary Clinton always met the highest ethical standards. 
Secretary Clinton always met the highest ethical standards uh, when she was Secretary of State. Uh, when she was United States Senator, there were uh, systems put in place to prevent exactly what you're talking about. And again, the Russians illegally stole these emails. They're selectively dumping them out. I can't even verify whether the actual content in them is real. But this is the conversation they want us to have versus how Hillary's going to create jobs. so dumb. You are really dumb. For real. Stupidity. Well, that's a wrap for this episode. I want to thank everyone for tuning in. If you've made it this far, thank you so much for watching. And if you're a member, a Patreon patron, someone who donated through PayPal, thank you so much for keeping this show going. Uh, we're going to especially need that once the election is over because a lot of people tend to disengage from politics at the end of an election so this show is going to lose a lot of ad revenue from youtube so to anyone who is supporting us through monthly donations or who you know submitted a donation through paypal you are what's going to keep this show alive after the election so thank you so much and if you just watch and share again you don't know how big of a difference that makes so thank you to everyone so much for tuning in so loyally each week uh, i'll see you next week have a good day